I had never had a position of any seniority in any large organization. And as a result, I didn't have fixed or set ideas as to how companies should be run. And I tried to run my company in such a way that we could accommodate as much as possible of what the people who worked with us needed. Hello, hello, my name is Hannah Herbs and I welcome you to another episode of Reaching Your Goals. Reaching Your Goals is my career-focused podcast where I sit down with truly inspiring individuals and we talk about leadership and career-related topics to give you the insights to get one step closer to living a fulfilled professional life. Depending on the day, I either were the head of a certified leadership and career coach or a management consultant and I have an MBA from NYU Stern School of Business. My mission is simple, to inspire you to reach your goals, lead with kindness and have some fun along the way. My guest this week is no other than the wonderful Judy Piatkes. My UK friends might recognize her name from the Piatkes Books Publishing House. And yes, Judy was the founder and CEO of the global publishing company Piatkes Books until she successfully sold the company in 2007. She now summarized her memoir in the award-winning book Ahead of Her Time, how a one-woman startup became a global publishing brand. As we will find out, the title of her book, Ahead of Her Time, is quite fitting since Judy has been ahead of her time again and again. She is now an independent consultant, mentor, as well as the founder of Conscious Cafe, Judy Spice in London in the UK. After having read her book, I was so curious to get to know her better and she truly met my expectations. I bet you will enjoy the conversation as well. And I also just recently read a few reviews on the show and Apple podcast and thank you so much for the kind words. It means the world to me. And if you have not yet left five stars in a nice comment, why not do so today? Thank you. With that, it's time to jump in and learn from Judy. Judy, I'm so excited to have you here with me today. How are you doing? I am very good and I'm very pleased to be here today. Thank you. Perfect. And to get things started, I would like to ask you a few rapid fire questions, short questions, short answers. What describes you better? Ask permission or beg forgiveness? That's a very interesting question. I would like to think that I don't beg very much. <laughs> I'm really trying in my life not to be doing things where I might find that I have to be begging. Um, ask permission. I'm English, so I'm polite. True, 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 true. And books have played a major part in your life. What is one of your all-time favorites? One of my all-time favorite, I have so many. One that I probably use most is, and this is use as opposed to read, one that I use most is Your Body Speaks Your Mind by Debbie Shapiro. And we published this book in the mid-90s, and it introduced me to the idea of how our bodies are a holistic system. So when we have a physical problem, there is usually 
a deep connection between that physical problem and a particular emotional problem. So if I have a physical problem or if someone close to me has a physical problem, it's very valuable to look in the book and see what emotional issue we might be dealing with, which very often we haven't recognized. And the mind-body and spirit connection is very well known in some circles, but for other people, it's something completely new. And I wish that everybody knew more about it, because we would have more understanding of ourselves and of each other. What do you need to be at your best? To be at my best, I need to be calm, and I need to be in a calm place, and I need to have the opportunity to think clearly. And as long as I have calm mind, calm space, no noise, sometimes a cup of coffee, answers <laughs> will come. Who is one of your role models? I don't often think about that as one specific person. So there are people I admire because they are very successful in business and I admire how they work. I admire particular characteristics in other people when it comes to how they solve problems. I admire different approaches to resolving issues when I hear people express how they think about different different challenges. I admire energetic people who have a love of life. So there are aspects of different people that I admire, but I can't at this moment think of one person who encompasses them all. How would your family and friends describe you in one word? I have no idea. <laughs> but what I did appreciate was when my husband and I celebrated our Well, it was our, we were celebrating our 25th anniversary, but I had added up the years wrong, and it was actually only our 24th. <laughs> but when we celebrated this special occasion, my daughter gave a speech and said she grew up in a house full of laughter, and I was very happy about that. What is one of the most important qualities in a leader? Important qualities in a leader... I think that leaders need so many. And I think probably as we make this podcast in 2023, the ability to listen has probably risen to the top because we are surrounded by so much uncertainty and we're surrounded by so many people who have expert knowledge about specific areas. And as a leader, we need to have understanding of so many different areas, which is, of course, impossible, especially with technology advancing so fast and impacting on our lives in such a different way. So taking the time to listen to what everybody feels is important to share is probably the most useful characteristic. And I think that is followed by the ability to take a decision. What is the best advice you've been given in your personal or your professional life? I do like the concept in my personal life of living your own life, accepting yourself, loving yourself, which is very popular nowadays as something that people aspire to be able to do. But when you are comfortable with yourself in a personal situation or a business situation, 
and accept yourself, what and all, then you are most likely to be living in a way that is true to whoever you are meant to be. Last question for the rapid fire. What is one thing that people get often wrong about you? People often underestimate me. I read your book. I would not do that mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Your book is called Ahead of Her Time. And you share the story of your life until the point when you sell your company. And I loved your book. It was described as a page turner. And I can completely echo that feedback. But for the listeners who have not yet heard about your story or only about bits and pieces, could you please share with us the key milestones that led you to where you are today? Thank you for asking that. I grew up at a time when women were not really having careers. So I grew up in England. I was born in London. I went to a good school. But my parents, in common with other parents in the society of that time, were concerned that I should be able to earn my living. But this was just going to be for the period until I got married. So my parents found it difficult that after I did get married, I wanted to continue working. And my husband and I had a daughter, and she has cerebral palsy. And when we learned that she was going to have disabilities that would challenge her and would challenge us as a family, it became even more imperative that I needed to earn money. I had always wanted to work with books and I started a publishing company with a partner and we worked together for four years and after that we wanted to go in different directions. So I sold my half of the company to him and with the money that I made I started my own publishing company. At the time I was 29, I had one daughter and another child was on the way. And at that time in, in the UK, there were very, very few women who had their own businesses. And there were very few women who employed staff. And there were very few women who controlled their own businesses. I started in publishing because of my love of books. And I published books that had been out of print a long time. And these were sold to libraries. And the library market at that time was very strong in Britain. After I'd separated from my business partner, I gradually, on my own, built up an independent publishing company, Piatka's Books. We started in my bedroom, and then we expanded the home we lived in, and then gradually people came to work for us in the loft extension, and then we moved into an office, and we began to publish popular non-fiction. We published cookery, um, we published books about health, and we published popular fiction. We published authors who we could afford. And at that time, publishers did not have to pay authors so much money to write their books. So at the start of the 1980s, we were able to buy many books by many authors which were very successful. By the time the 1990s came, we had our own office. I had separated from my husband. I had three children. And I was very conscious that I was needing to support my family as a single mom 
Although by then I had also my second husband and I was conscious that it was down to me and to my colleagues to ensure that we had enough money every month to pay everyone's salaries. During the time of my company, which was 28 years while we were independent, we were always able to be organic and we didn't need money from any outside investors. We did have a growing large bank overdraft and we had managed to buy a building at an early stage of the company with the money had built up from starting the company at home, which meant I had low overhead. And this little building in the centre of London enabled us to keep increasing our overdraft. As the building went up in value, we were able to borrow more against it. We became pioneers in publishing in the area of personal growth and personal development, and we were particularly known for taking risks with many subject areas that people hadn't heard of. And after a while, that whole area absolutely exploded in the UK, and the company did very well. We were also known for our fiction and published many best-selling authors who we bought from America. We would buy the license to publish them in the UK. One of our most successful authors was Nora Roberts, and she was also extremely successful, not just in America, but also in Europe. Towards the end of my decade of being in my 50s, I decided that I didn't really want to be a publisher for the rest of my life because being a publisher is all-encompassing. You are reading books every spare minute and you're reading lots of books that aren't very good but you don't know that till you've read them. I also read many books that my colleagues wanted me to read for a second and third opinion. So it is a 24-7 job. So I knew that I wanted time during the latter part of my life where I would be able to explore different things in the world. Also, in the UK, in the early part of the 21st century, we could see that a massive transition was coming, which would shake up the book trade as people began to read digitally. And we knew that we would have to reinvent the company and reinvent all our systems and learn a lot of new things. So after 28 years, I did start young. It seemed a good time to sell. So we worked with a, we worked with a, an outside company to help us to find the best company to sell to. And in my book, in my memoir, which is called Ahead of Her Time, because as a company, we were always ahead of our time, trying out new ideas in the workplace and trying out new topics for books. We decided that we would try and be ahead of our time once again. We could see the book industry would be disrupted and we could see that the financial bubble that we'd all been used to was likely to burst. We put the company on the market early in 2007. Three publishers wanted to buy it. We sold it to the Hachette Group, which at the time was the largest group of publishers in the UK. The company was called Piatkus, and the brand 
still lives on. And many books that we published that were particularly popular during our time as an independent company are still being read today. So the story that I wrote, I wanted to help young women in particular or women in their midlife who wanted to start their own company and were worried how it might impact on their family. I wanted to say, don't be guilty. Don't feel guilty. A happy mother is always the best mother to come home to. I also write in detail about how we grew entrepreneurial venture because I wanted people to have an understanding of the different levels of knowledge that you need to acquire as you build your company. The book has been read by many women and it's also been read by men who have also found it particularly helpful and some of them have told me they subsequently understood their wives better afterwards. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. I do have quite a number of questions. The first thing, the title is Ahead of Her Times. And when I read it, I could also see how you were ahead. It's like you were starting working from home. You had people working from your home. You were allowed flexi time. So there was a lot of things that we take for granted today. In that moment, were you already aware that you were doing something that's not necessarily mainstream or did it just happen? When I started my company on my own, having sold my previous company, to be happy getting up and coming to work every day in my own company. And when I'd had the company which I had owned 50-50 with my business partner, we hadn't got on as the company developed. So I learned lessons from that. And I learned that if you want your colleagues to be happy coming to work, You've got to create a culture and an atmosphere where everybody feels empowered to give off their best. So I wanted everybody to come to work, to work hard, to enjoy their work, and then to go home and have a life. And I'd learned those things from experience. And I had never had a position of any seniority in any large organization. And as a result, I didn't have fixed or set ideas as to how companies should be run. And I tried to run my company, as did my co-director colleagues. We tried to run it in such a way that we could accommodate as much as possible of what the people who worked with us needed. So from an early stage, our publicity manager worked two days in the office and three days at home. The editorial director worked at home when she was editing a book. The sales director didn't come in the office very much because he or she needed to be out on the road. So we built the company in such a way that it worked for the people who worked a lot in it. And when we weren't able to give everybody exactly what they wanted, we were always able to explain why. I get the feeling that you are a very courageous, risk-taking person. You're loyal and respectful to your employees. Where do you take that courage and that strength from? I felt courage and strength coming as I grew emotionally and in my understanding of my own self 
while I was in my 30s, I would say. Obviously, nowadays, we recognize that life is a journey and we're learning things about ourselves. We're learning things about our talents, our abilities, our weaknesses every day. And we're learning how we are in relation to other people as we go through life. And no matter how old we are, we will always continue to have that learning every day as we enter into new situations. But I would say that in my 30s, I became more confident because by then I had sold one company. I had made some money. I was earning a decent salary. When I separated from my first husband, I was supporting my children. I was paying the mortgage. I had a company which had a certain value and I was clearly making a profit and that gave me confidence that I was capable. What did keep you hungry to also run the company for 27 or 28 years? Well, the wonderful thing about publishing is publishing is never boring because at any moment you are waiting for someone to offer you a wonderful book. And whether it's a novel or whether it's a non-fiction proposal, every now and again you get really excited about wonderful books and you want to make an offer to publish them. Another thing I especially enjoyed, we were non-fiction publishers in the area of lifestyle. And I loved new ideas, new proposals, new books from America, new manuscripts constantly arriving on my desk, giving me new things to think about and expanding my own mind. So I always enjoyed that. But when I'd been working as a publisher For nearly 20 years, I did realize that having read so many self-help and personal development books, I did feel in need of doing something for myself. And I worked as a volunteer bereavement counselor, and then I embarked on a, an introduction to counseling, and then I did a psychodynamic psychotherapy and counseling training. And at the time, it didn't make sense. I had a perfectly lovely career. I had a wonderful company. I worked with great people, but I was drawn to explore what it meant to be a counselor and a therapist. And even though I didn't practice for very long after I completed my training, although during my training I worked for 450 hours in the NHS in the UK, When I had completed that, I didn't practice for very long because I needed to turn my attention back to Piatka's books. But the skills that I learned as a counselor have always stood me in good stead. And I was really fortunate that I was able to interlink the two, even though it was a lot of hard work at the time. I mean, you said that one of the key skills for leaders is from your point of view, listening. And as a counselor, listening is also like one of those main things. I mean, that's part of the job. So I can really see how that was very, very helpful for you to, to run your company. And I also, I listened to a different podcast with you before, and there you got the question about purpose. And I think you said purpose will come with time. Purpose will come, follow your passion. I think that was the takeaway that I took. Thank you. I, I think nowadays there is too much emphasis on young people to find their purpose because I don't think you can find your purpose 
when you haven't been in the world very long. So 20, 25 years, when hopefully you will have a long life, live into your 70s and 80s, you are still at the beginning of your life. And there are so many things that you can explore. So you cannot really know, I don't think, in your 20s, what your purpose is going to be. So in my 20s and my 30s, it wasn't fashionable to talk about your purpose. That really came later. And then when people began to bring purpose into the personal development conversation, I thought my purpose was to sell books. And in the 90s, a lot of companies were very focused on finding what was their mission, their mission and their purpose. And at Piatkus, ours was we published books to, to inform and entertain. And it wasn't until I was in my 50s that I realized my purpose was not just publishing books, but it was actually to open people's minds to new ways of thinking. But that's a very grand purpose. And that actually was what we, we as a company was, were doing. And I was doing that as the publisher. And there is no way that I could have conceived such a grand idea in my 20s or even my 30s. And we all learn many new things as we progress through our lives. And then later on, we sometimes can put the pieces together and see, well, that was why I was drawn to learn that. And that was why I was drawn to learn that. And now... At this point in my life, I run a network for people to come together and have thoughtful conversations, and those are mind-expanding. And I can see the, the work that I did over previous years and the skills I learned at different times have come together now to enable me to do something else, which is my purpose. And the one thing that I also hear in your story is, and what you just said is you were drawn to topics and you followed them. And I feel that is really key that you were in charge and you were doing, you were, you were a go-getter. Thank you. Yes, we were. And it was very, very exciting. In the 1980s, we published books on aromatherapy and reflexology. And people didn't know what those alternative health areas were and we had to explain to the people who were selling our books the salespeople who were going into bookshops and explaining what we were publishing because these 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 were so new in the marketplace we published the first we published in the 1990s we published books on feng shui on clutter clearing on detoxing on life coaching and in every and in every one of those cases, not Feng Shui, but the other ones, we were among the first publishers to come out with a book on those topics. And then afterwards, we would see so many, we would see the idea gaining hold in society. And then we would see a whole influx of books. How does that feel to have had this huge impact on mainstream England or your markets? Well, it was very rewarding and it was extremely annoying when a publisher who had much more money than we did could sometimes afford to pay someone a lot more money and that book would get more attention than our books because we couldn't always give them as big a marketing budget. So much as we were thrilled that we did publish wonderful books, 
Sometimes our books got lost in the crowd as everybody, all the other publishers used to watch what we were publishing and very often they would look for someone to publish a book on a new topic because they figured if we were doing it, then maybe they had to pay attention to it. Mm. And of course, we all lost money sometimes. We, we published some books on codependency, which was very big in America. But even though people in England adopted the word codependent a little bit, which means you're very dependent on someone else in emotionally. So you could be codependent if you were married to an alcoholic. You might be making colluding with them, making it easier for them not to give up. So we thought that would be a big area in the UK because it was in America, but it never got here in quite the same way. Another area was your inner child. There was a period in America when everyone was talking about their inner child, and we had the best book on the subject. But in England, the concept of the inner child, which is an idea that inside each one of us, we carry the idea of the little child that we were when we were young and we have to look after that little child within ourselves so that was big in America it didn't quite take off here in quite the same way so sometimes we would try books that didn't have quite the same impact that was okay because we didn't expect everything to be a success and sometimes books were successful much more successful than we could ever have dreamed all were swings and roundabouts And one thing I don't want to forget to ask, how many books have you read in your life? Do you have any idea? Oh, thousands, thousands. Now I usually read one novel every week because I usually read a novel before I go to bed and I'm not reading enough nonfiction and I have a whole pile of interesting books that I could read But I'm still a fiction lover and definitely on holiday I'll probably get through three or four in a week. Very initially, you said that your motivation for writing the book was also to help women, like young women, women in their midlife, to to help them. And, you know, if they worry what impact this will have on their families, to give them confidence that they can go out and try. Yes. When you're in your 30s, you've really got to go out there and try and achieve what you want. And that will carry on into your 40s. Because when you get to your 50s, no matter how skilled and talented you are, it is harder to develop the career that you might like to have. It's not impossible. Many women have done it, but it is harder. So the more skills that you can build up in your 20s, 30s and 40s, and the nearer you can get to the kind of work that you'd like to engage in when you're in that mid-stage of your life, the easier you will find it later to be doing in your 50s what you always really wanted to do. How do you find out what you actually like? Do you have any insights on that? To find out what you're like, that's such a good question. You do ask very good questions in this podcast. First of all, you've got to recognize that you're, you've got to recognize your own level of self-awareness. So it's, I mean, I have to say, if you have a few sessions with a counselor, I'm not saying that everybody should go and see a counselor, But just the learning that can be gained from a few sessions with a good 
trusted counsellor can give you an indication of what triggers your anxiety, what triggers your anger. When do you feel calm? When do you feel unease? So, for example, you might leave home in the morning and you're in a good mood and the sun is shining. And then by the time you get to lunchtime, you're really upset. And if you don't have any self-awareness, you may not have recognized that at some point during the morning, someone said something to you and it threw you slightly off balance. And by lunchtime, you're just feeling off balance. But what you have to do is look back through the last two or three hours and see where your mood changed. And that's a very basic level of self-awareness. But when we have understanding of what triggers our mood and when we understand how to control um, our emotions better, then we're more likely to have peace of mind. So you need someone to help you have that kind of understanding. And you can get it from books. But it's much better to have it in a session with someone. It might be a coach. It doesn't necessarily have to be a therapist. But therapists, therapists I find, go deeper into the emotional side because that's what they're trained for. So, for example, a therapist might say, what was it like when you were growing up? What was your family like? And when you begin to explore how things were in your family, then you can understand where lots of your points of view come from and lots of the ways you like to do things. But you're less likely to discover that knowledge about yourself within the coaching framework because it's not set up for that. Exactly. I just want to add on to that with my coaching hat on. It's like with the coaching, we look at current state and the future. And with the therapy, it's going backwards. You said also before that it's important to kind of like get the sense of what you enjoy and you should also build up your skills early on. And I know that you have an interest in creative leadership. What are things, if you look at creative leadership, what are the key skills that people should focus on? My degree, which I actually, I went to university as a very mature student some years after I sold my company. And so that's where my degree is in creative leadership and it gave me the chance to reflect on leadership um, and I think the, the number one important factor in leadership is that you respect everybody who you meet and that you know that we are all equal some of us might be more skilled in some areas some of us might have more talents some of us may have more power we definitely do in the workplace but if you try and treat everybody as an equal and you try and treat people in the way you would like to be treated and respect people, then you would hope that that respect comes back to you. Because without respect, we can't have trust. And without trust, whether it's in the workplace or in any area of your personal life, then we cannot have good relationship. And leadership is about developing good relationships so that when you want to take your organization in a particular direction, everybody is on board and willing to come with you. And with everything that you now know about leadership and when you look back, what advice would you like to give the 30-year-old Judy? 30-year-old Judy. 
I think I just want to say everything will be all right because I think there is a lot of anxiety in the world. But if you're true to yourself and you do your best and you respect other people and and you make sure they respect you in return, then things and you're kind, then things do have a habit of working out all right. So our thoughts are very powerful. And when we think and hope that everything's going to work out all right, it very often does. But if we think it's not going to work out all right, then it's got more chance of not working out. So the important thing is to approach everything. Every problem does usually have a solution. It will be found at some point. Everything will work out. And we may not know for many months or even years that what we thought wasn't going to work out did work out in a way that we couldn't possibly have imagined at the time. So we just have to trust in the goodness of life. Yeah, yeah a lot of have trust in the process in what you're saying. Yes, trust in the process. That's a good one. If I think about ahead of her time, what is your prediction for the years to come? This is 2023 and we, we are present in a period of huge change throughout the world and I think there will be change in many areas of our daily life. I think there will be change in geographical borders. This isn't necessarily good or bad. I don't know what the changes will be. I think there will be changes in the food we eat. I'd like to see us eat good quality food no matter who we are or wherever we live. I think there will be much more focus on our health even than there has been in the past three years. And the focus will be on self-care and being as healthy as we can be so that our immune system can withstand any viruses or as many as possible. I think that we may see changes in our global financial system. I think there will be changes. We will see some kind of digital currency. So if we think about our health and the food we eat and the money we use, we're already seeing changes in the workplace. I think there will be more changes in every aspect of our lives in the next few years. And then the years after that, we'll be adjusting and hopefully creating a planet that's much more healthy, much more fair for every one of us who is currently living on it at present. And what would you advise listeners who want to be ready for the future workplace, for the future? What would you advise them to do today? Pay attention to the areas that new companies are developing that look as if they're going to become main, mainstream. And I also heard you say using the word consciousness, awareness a number of times. So I get the sense it's going back to that. Listen, and also what you were saying initially, most important, one of the most important qualities in a leader, listen and be aware on what's happening around you. It's very important. Sometimes women in particular, we, we can all be a little bit focused on doing our job as well as possible. And we do actually have to look at bigger picture see what the other companies who work in the same area are focusing on. If we see innovation taking place, we need to 
be aware of how that might impact on our own work, on our own business. So paying attention to the bigger picture in the workplace and in your area of expertise is very important. I only have a few more questions left for you. So um, what is coming up next for you? Well, the thing that's coming up next is in about six weeks. And I was asked by an organization that awards prizes to give a keynote speech. And I haven't given a keynote speech for some years. And it would have been so easy to say no, because it's quite a challenge. But I thought when I start turning things down that are challenges, then I'm just not engaged with life. So I've got to say yes and just do the best I can. So that's coming up in about six weeks and that's on my mind. And your smile got super big when you were talking about it. I'm getting excited now for you. Thank you. One last question. Whom else should I invite as a guest? I can think of so many people and I will have to send you an email later. Oh, perfect. For everybody who feels inspired, I think, A, they should get your book, Ahead of Her Time, How a One-Woman Startup Became a Global Publishing Brand. But how else can they stay in touch with you and follow you? I have a website, www.judypiatkus.com. And the network I run, which brings people together for conscious conversations, and we also run a range of events, that is www.consciouscafe.org. And I've seen on the conscious.org website, there's also, I believe, a newsletter where people can sign up for it, right? You can sign up and, and be added to our mailing list. Yep. And then you will learn about what the events are that are coming every month. And we also have a few groups in different parts of the UK. And, and in one, one two in Switzerland. <laughs> I saw that. Since I'm based in Switzerland, I always pay attention to that piece. <laughs> yes, we do. We have, we, have, um, we have a very popular group in Geneva and a newer group in Basel. Nice, 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 nice. With that... Thank you so much, Judy. That was really so inspiring. And also when I read your book, I was thinking that you have role model written on your forehead. So I would like to thank you for everything you've done, because I think that is really wonderful to see women who've done it and to learn from them. So thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you. Best of luck with your career. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Judy as much as I did. If you want to talk about it, you can tag me at Reaching Your Goals Podcast or at Delegate. And if I can be of any help with my coaching hat on, you can always reach me at hannahadelegate.com. With that, we are done for today. We are one step closer to reaching your goals. Talk to you guys next week. Bye.